I'm doing a series, uh, the four pillars of my personal theology, which I believe uh, uh, really undergird uh, uh, what we're about as a church. But it's kind of some of you are loving it because I'm, I'm giving you a bit of theology that goes under some of our experience. And and but what I don't want to do is that we become about theology or about experience, but that we become about the, them all together. Uh, it's it's in our Western culture that we've divided understanding cerebral knowledge from experiential knowledge and we've made understanding and cerebral knowledge superior to experiential knowledge that's not a biblical worldview and and often in the bible you see the understanding coming as the result of an experience so so we really need to recombine them and honor what encounter and experience and in god really looks like because the, the Bible, the Hebrew and the Greek words for knowing all include primarily often the sense of intimacy and encounter. I mean, even when we talk about the presence of the Lord, in, in, in the way we talk about presence, so say, say I, I walk in the door in the back corner in this room, you would say that I was present, yeah? But I may not be at the front, I may not be next to you, but, you know, I'm, I showed up. I'm, you're, you're all present, aren't you? You're all present. Thank you, Jesus, you're all present. Yeah, you're nodding at me, eating lunch, whatever it is you need to do right now. But, but that's, not what, that's not what the Bible means by presence. Because that means that I could be here and you're there and, and we're present together, kind of. Yeah? But the, the Old Testament idea of presence is, is actually... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow you, David. Is that all right? Just come stand up. I am now present in David's life. Yep, definitely. Is that not true? That is absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> it literally... The, the, the word... There isn't a word for presence like I just described it in English. Sorry, I'm going to borrow... This is the word in Hebrew for presence. It's face-to-face. So when you feel his presence, it's a bit of a nudge for us to realize he's right there in our, in our face in the best possible sense of that word. <laughs> just, just suck the juices out of that for a minute. Just like, whew. So why don't you welcome his presence in that sense rather than the, in the corner of the room sense? I mean, it, it's more powerful. It's slightly more scary but there's no need to be afraid because he loves you. He's not here to smite your hinder parts. Right, so why don't you invite his presence? Invite his presence to be intimately in your face. Thank you, Father. Huh. <clears throat> so, doing this series, trying to keep our experience and our understanding knowledge-wise in one place as a, as a whole thing, not as a separate thing. Not that the brainy ones who understand theology are better than the experiential ones. That, that's been a division in the church for centuries and, and really we don't want to have that here. We want to celebrate the union of coming to understanding and knowledge by experience as well as using our, our minds and our brains. So this morning I'm... I'm I'm on my second pillar, so it took a long time basically to say that Jesus is God, therefore he's perfect theology, or 
say it more accurately, Jesus is God incarnate, therefore he is perfect theology. So the incarnation is absolutely key to everything we, we believe. And uh, that's why Christmas is so important. It's not about the presence, it's celebrating that God came in human flesh. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that next week. But that's fundamental. If we can just get our heads around that idea it, 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 and, and experience that idea and appreciate that Jesus wasn't just a good man or a prophet or someone who existed years ago. And we, he's kind of vaguely present, but he was actually, and he had great things to say, but he actually spoke the word of God. He was the word of God. If we can grasp that, then it makes room for all kinds of other exciting and fundamental things that we stand on and believe. And, and one of them is this whole idea, my, my thing for it is called the glorious church. So number one is Jesus is God incarnate, therefore he's perfect theology. Number two, again, this is no particular order, what we're on today is the glorious church. Number three is every human is amazing. And number four is something I gets called the finished work of the cross so I believe we come to a throne of grace not I can't find the phrase in the Bible where we come to the cross it's a popular phrase in Christian life which is come to the foot of the cross all the exhortations I see in the Bible are come to the throne of grace set our minds on the things that are above etc 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 because the work of the cross is profound and powerful but it's finished not started Jesus said it's finished and that opens the door and introduces us to a whole new reality that created at the cross. So as you can see, that's just a taster because that's yet to come. That's, that's number four probably. So how are we doing? When uh, last week I spoke about the, the church, uh, the, I hate coming to church in the traditional sense of that word. I'm not here fulfilling my religious duty. I'm not here trying to keep the Lord or the pastor off my back. I'm not here to fill a chair. I'm not here particularly to sing a song. I'm not here particularly to listen to a message, although some of those things are good, some of those things are bad that I just described. I'm actually here, what I described yesterday, last week, is I'm here as part of God's legislative assembly. And I, I told you many stories where God has taught us that as a church from now uh, two, three years ago uh, and, and described from the Bible how it, Jesus said, I will build my legislative assembly and the authorities or gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give you the keys that you can corporately loose on earth what's loosed in heaven and forbid on earth what's forbidden in heaven and then we we did some of our declarations and we did it with some whack because actually as is the church so is society we are his legislative assembly we are way more significant than we've been led to believe and for years we've talked about our identity as believers, but sometimes we can miss the significance of our identity as a community, a community of God. We have an identity that's a corporate sum of the parts. And I want to talk to you more about that. So this morning's title, if you like, continuing the theme of I don't want to just come to church, is Church from Heaven's Perspective. Church from heaven's perspective, which really should be the most important perspective. 
How does God, how does heaven, how does heaven see us as a community? How does heaven relate to the church on the earth? And, and it ties in well with what I spoke about last week, which is the church as his legislative assembly, because if that's true, and it is true, what we're doing is we, we are, we are administ- administering, we are releasing uh, what is in heaven onto the earth, and we're God's heavenly outreach. We're his ambassadors, we're his representatives with all the authority of him, okay? And, and if you remember, I, was, I forgot to tell you, we have uh, signed on the dotted line, we have the keys to our new hub. Work started on Friday. Yeah. And while I was asking the Lord why it had been so difficult to do this, one of the things he said to me is, I'm teaching you about the spiritual impact you have as a gathered community without multiple projects, buildings, and ministries. It's like he, it, it, we, we just couldn't find something because he wanted to, us to focus on this. And that's frustrating for some people because, well, what do we do as a church? Well, we're learning this. It's really important. And then we do other things. The other thing he said was, is embedding in us a value for his presence so that when we, he gives us the liberty to have ministries and projects, they will carry manifest presence to people. They won't just be good works, not that good works are bad, but they'll be good works infused, laced, overlaid, that relate the presence and the goodness of God to people, which is our mission, is to bring transformation as a family to people, families, churches, cities and nations through experiences of the goodness of God. So recovering the value of experience is vital. And what's remarkable doing evangelism with experience first is it's amazing how many arguments disappear when people have an experience. All right. And then we saw the session I did before that which, which added a little bit of, I was like, where shall I go next? This added a bit of edge to my decision. Was in 1 Corinthians 11, 29, I remember did a morning talking about uh, communion or breaking of bread. And, and I, I was brave. I did the warnings. And it's important that we don't skirt around the uncomfortable bits in Scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 11:29, it says that when we fail to dis- rightly discern the Lord's body and we come with a, a poor spirit, a, a poor attitude, then we're in danger as a community of becoming weak, of becoming sick and dying. I mean, that, that's, and, and the issue is failure to discern the Lord's body. And one, there's two ways to interpret that, and I, I looked at both of them, but one of them is failure to discern the body of Christ of which you're part, failure to love it, appreciate it, see it for what it really is from God's perspective. So it's really good to go back to Scripture to remember who we are because we want to we appreciate, we want to have a right attitude and spirit towards the body of Christ in general and to the one we're part of in particular because for goodness sake we want to be strong, we want to be healthy, we don't want to die. Is that, you know, it's a bit of carrot and stick, isn't it? Anybody here want to stay healthy? Anybody here want to stay alive? Okay, four people. The rest of you are okay to get sick? You know, and, and, and we want to be strong, don't we, in the Lord? We want to stay strong. Uh, and the scripture was, I, I mean, it, it smacked me afresh 
in the face, really, my goodness, that actually my, my inner attitudes and my, my understanding and my faith for and my appreciation of this body that I'm connected to actually affects my health. Wow. And as we come to the table of the Lord and we, we declare we're one loaf, we're one body with him, we're one body with one another, we drink the blessing of God upon our lives, we're declaring something that needs to have a consistency and a truth in our own hearts so that we're not doing something openly and publicly that isn't true inwardly and privately in our relationship with him. Is this, is this making sense? So all of that has galvanized me to go, we need to talk about the church. We need to talk about the legislative assembly. So when you come on a Sunday morning, which is when we happen to gather, you're not just coming as a punter, you're coming as an authoritative individual to join with other authorized individuals to create an atmosphere and release authority into the city. We're coming to do business for the Lord as well as with the Lord. Do you get it? So you count. You really count. That kind of strength that you bring adds to what happens in the spirit realm. That's more or less what we said last week. So let's, let's go to the Bible uh, and let's go to the book of Revelation. And chapter 1. I'm just going to read a chunk out of here and, and then we'll get, we'll get busy with it. You all right? It's Okay. Good, good. Just checking. So in verse 9, I, I, I love this. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The, the sort of early church history tells us that he was there in exile because he was such a problem to the Roman authorities and probably the reason that he was exiled rather than dead is they tried to kill him and they couldn't. One story was that they put him in boiling oil and it didn't kill him. So as they couldn't kill him, they exiled him. But he, there he is in exile and God is not stopped working in his life. So here he is, he's on this island and he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice behind him like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamon and Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Right, why those seven churches? They were all in what was then called Asia. And it was a circle of churches around the region of Ephesus, probably all influenced earlier by Paul. So Paul and his team founded Ephesus. And from that, Epaphroditus went to Colossae. And so there's this, it used to be a mail route that touched most of these cities. So they weren't million miles from one another. So, so early church history tells us that John was actually after Paul based in Ephesus. So he probably had a ministry, a connection to the churches in this list. All right, so these are not just random selection of churches. They're a group of churches. Geographically, he's in an island, but you know, if you look back from uh, where he's, he is, you'd see the coast of what is now Turkey, and inland from there, well, Ephesus would have been on the coast, and then you've got this circle of other churches that he's writing to, okay? So there were real places in a, in a space and time. Uh, and he turned to see the voice that was speaking to him, and turning, he saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with golden sash on his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. I mean, we, we already know it's Jesus, yeah? We're ahead on this, aren't we? Just checking. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refining a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Oh, my goodness. And his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining full in full strength. So you have this manifestation of Jesus, probably like how John saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was Peter, James, and John, and he became white and bright. And he sees him again. He's walking between lampstands and he's holding seven stars in his hand. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead and he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one who died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place for as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Just hold that far, that thought for a moment. And then the first message is to Ephesus, to, Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And he goes on, I know your works and, and you forgot your first love and so on. And then he says this, and he, he commends them because they hate the work of the Nicolaitans. And then he says, he who has a he ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And every Every letter ends with an exhortation to hear the Spirit as a community and to be an overcoming community. Every one of the seven letters ends in a very similar fashion, regardless of the specific message given to the church. Okay? Okay, story time. A few years ago, I can't remember when this happened, exactly how many years ago but we did a whole season of 24 7 prayer remember that some of you we were praying day and night for seven days a week and sometimes it was challenging but it was amazing and glorious it's a, the effect it's had on us I think continues and so actually as, as a leadership we really feel to try and do some 24-hour worship events next year so that we gather together and just get in the presence of God and seek his face we're feeling the lack of those those prayer events and there's one of these and I think it was I think it was our life group our house group turn we had a couple of hours slot and uh, there was Teresa was there my wife and me and Jan and Mary Lou and Lydia was in there uh, I think Joel was in there as well who else was in that room you remember? yeah anyway Mark and, and we're and we're praying and and Several of us suddenly feel this presence in the room, but it's very located. And we're kind of feeling our way in all this stuff. And I think it was Lydia who said, there's an angel in the room, and he's really big. And the thing about the presence of an angel is it feels different to the presence of the Lord, because the presence of the Lord is, is everywhere. Once you tune into it, it he's all-embracing. An angelic presence is, is localized. 
And, and, and I'd had one encounter with an angel many, many years before that. And when this happens, you kind of like, I have no grid for this. I remember praying, crying out to God one season in my life and the presence in the room changed. It's like someone walked in the door. I fell on my face and I was aware there's two large feet. And I'm, I'm like, what is this? What this? And, and I heard the voice say, I have an angel and we've come because of your prayers and we are ready. It took me 20 years to figure to find out what that actually meant. It was... And it was one of those moments. There was this presence. And different ones of us started to see it. Some actually started to see the outline of this angel in the room. And, and, and I, was asking, I was asking the Lord what's going on. And, and he said to me, and he said to several of us, this is the angel of your church. Good to know we have one. This is the angel of your church. And and he started to bring all sorts of verses to mind. One was Daniel's encounter with the angels in Daniel chapter 10. And he said, actually, it's the angel of the church. And what I, what I want you to do is pray that he's strengthened. And I'm going to give you new languages in tongues to pray to strengthen the angel of the church. So we're like, okay, here we go. We'll give this a try. It, it was crazy fun. I tell you, we so... So we all, pretty much all of us started to speak in tongues, but like with a language in tongues we'd not had before. And, and a lot of them were very sort of Chinese and, and a, a, a kind of aggressive, like, like, like warfare, ninja stuff. And, and actually one or two started dancing around the room, kind of doing kind of ninja type prophetic dance speaking in tongues this strange tongues some of the most gentle small people you'd imagine suddenly became these mighty warriors with these great loud tongues coming out of their mouths so so we suddenly grew in our value for the presence of the angel of the church and we've had many many encounters with him since and if you take the time to tune into that dimension he is usually here and, and, and to be sensed or, or, or uh, seen. And uh, huh. what's, what's, what's difficult to get our hands around is, and our heads around, is writing, writing to angels. Did you notice that? So I just want to give you five or six points from this passage, what it teaches us about heaven's perspective on church. Is that, is that okay? And, and number one, there's a message to a church. And each message is different and is to a specific church in a specific place. And it describes the health, the strength, and the lack of that local community. Now, I know many have gone on to interpret these verses of the seven stages of the church, or, and that may, may be true, but when John was doing this, in his heart and mind, he was writing to seven actual churches, some instruction given to him from the Lord Jesus himself, and he was writing to the angel of those churches. They were real places with real people, with a real identity that had some real challenges, 
And, and even the way he describes them, like the Laodicean church, we, we've actually been in that area on holiday, and there are springs that are lukewarm. And he uses that imagery to describe the church and its condition. So, so there may be other prophetic significance, but at the point of authorship and inspiration, these are actual revelatory letters to actual churches in actual places, okay? I'm just doing that because I'm kind of building it line on line. I'm just checking for a head nod or a, that you're kind of following me through this logic, okay? So what, what I've found over the years is most people have no problem believing in something theologians call the universal church. So everyone's born again is part of the church. The universal church means all those who have believed, all those who are believing, and all those who will ever believe are all part of this humongous thing called the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. Yes? And, and if, you're, if you're in him, you're in it. Now, too many people I've encountered think that that's enough or that that is the church. But from heaven's perspective, what Jesus is seeing and what we're seeing in heaven is distinct lampstands that represent distinct communities in distinct places. It's not just seeing this big splurge of church forever and ever, forever backwards, forever forwards and in the now. It's seeing actual communities have an identity in their heavenly realms that Jesus is walking amongst. And the Apostle Paul worked this out in his experience, so he probably wrote the most about the idea of the universal church, but his actual life, he went from city to city and he created local churches, which is what, it's not, not a Bible word, but he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, I laid a, laid a foundation and others are building on it, I laid a foundation which is Jesus. And he instructs them as a community. He deals with their questions and their strengths and many of their weaknesses because the church has a manifestation in a church. And when Paul says many are sick, are weak and died, it's because they're not dealing with the church, the a church. It's not because they're, well, we believe in the universal church. The a church being connected to a church, a community, is where you really find out how spiritual you are. Because as my first pastor always says to me, when Jesus comes into your life, he brings all his friends with him. And all of those friends may not be immediately your friends. It's a community thing. And so this great universal reality of the body of Christ is expressed in heaven and on earth in something we call the local church. A church in a locality. The church of God in a locality has a distinct nature and feel. It's, not, it, it's actually dangerous to say, well, I'm in the universal church, nothing else really counts. If you're in the universal church, that has to have an application in your life, which means you're connected to, joined to, committed to, working out church in a church. It's not a bunch of scattered individuals, little groups in little corners. And I just want to say something about, I've seen lots of chat about, now we have the internet. 
you know, you can, you can watch incredible preachers, miracles, you can live stream amazing worship, you can YouTube it, you can, I mean, you can, you can get more one-liners than you can apply in your whole life. I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's so many tweets and Instagrams, and, I mean, that people start to think, well, why do I need church gathered? I can get teaching worship online and eat my bacon sandwich and drink my coffee in bed. I mean, the internet has made church easy. I don't have to relate to other people. I can be a Facebook church member and be who maybe I am or who maybe I'm not. Just, just, I have over 500 Facebook friends, most of them I don't know. Just because Facebook tells them that you, you're, they're your friends, it doesn't mean they're actually friends. If the definition of friendship is Facebook's version of friendship, we are in a really sad place. You still like me, just checking. So, you can't, there's a whole load of stuff you can't do online. Um, you can get great teaching, great testimonies. D- d- don't misunderstand me. But you can't be a legislative assembly at home eating a bacon sandwich watching Bill Johnson in bed. You can't change your city with three people watching a Bethel worship download. I'm not saying it doesn't have value, it doesn't, but I'm not saying you can't do this because church is something you have to connect to and it has an identity in heaven and I'm afraid it doesn't, that you don't have a lampstand for your bedroom. It's not scattered individuals live streaming great content. It's a gathered community engaging with God and doing business for God and with God. Is, is this making sense? So the message is to a church, a group, a defined group. And we see that this church has a lampstand in heaven. And you see, as you read through, it's possible, different translations, that that lampstand can be removed. (sighs) So remember the church, from a heavenly perspective, each church has a lampstand and an angel. There's stars and lampstands. It's a pictorial way of explaining your heavenly identity as a community and the angelic assignment to you as a community. Okay? And it's possible, probably a better translation that the Passion does this, is that if they don't repent, this community could lose its place of influence in heaven. So it's not wiped out, it just lessens its influence in the heavenly realms, i.e. it's able to legislate less carries less influence and authority. Is this, is this good? Make it, just kind of pulling you along with me. So maybe the binding and loosing authority is something that you grow in, but as you, if you start to get out of harmony with the Spirit and the Word of God, then you actually could lose some of that spiritual authority. So if you're constantly criticizing the church, bad math in the church, dividing the church, actually Paul says in one place, says, God will destroy the person who's destroying the church. 
Now that sounds harsh, but you have to remember the church is, is the body of Christ. It's not like the body of Christ. This is a member of Christ. The person next to you is joined to Jesus. If, if we start destroying the church, we're actually warring on Jesus. When Paul is converted and he has that moment where Jesus appears to him, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul thinks he's killing Christians. Jesus thinks he's persecuting him personally. And why does he think that? It's because every Christian is joined, actually is the body of Christ on the earth. So when, when we deal with this thing, I don't know if you remember this, but when I said about the culture of honor, the culture of honor is there. One of the reasons we want to promote that is because we want to receive the Jesus in every person. And we don't want to violate that. So it's actually, culture of honor is a church health plan. Amongst many other more powerful things than that. But it's, it's important. So here we have this lampstand, which we, is a place of influence in heavenly realms that every church can have in its identity. And then every church, uh, the thing, this is, oh, let's deal with this for a minute. The churches have angels. Yeah. Now, to those of us who have grown up in the West, probably it's a bit like buying a car and you have the option to have heated seats or not. And some people love heated seats. I love a heated seat in my car. And some people hate them because when they sit in them, they feel like they've just wet themselves. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, so we actually have a divided elder, eldership over heated seats. Nick, Nick feels like it, it's just all kinds of wrong for me. There's nothing better than, Jan, you're, you're a heated seat person and a heated steering wheel person. I know Jan McFarlane is like heated everything on a cold winter's morning. <laughs> but these are optional extras, aren't they? You probably pay a bit extra. And it's a personal preference thing. The trouble is when we come to angels from our Western culture, it's, like, it's a bit like a heated seat. Do we want one? Well, well maybe, you know, let, let's choose to have one. And some of us are like, well, I don't really understand them, so I could probably get along fine without one. But that's not how this works. We have to tune it in to being heaven's perspective, not our preference. The fact is we have one. So it'd be good to know that and know how to deal with that, rea that reality, not treat it as something you'd rather wasn't there or maybe, you'd, you know, if we had a vote, maybe we'd have a divided church over who liked heated seats and who didn't, who fancied an angel in a church. I, I don't know. So why, why an angel? Well, angels, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, are ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are in to inherit salvation. They are here to serve you. They are here to serve us. How do they serve us? Well, Psalm 103 verse 20 tells us this. Bless the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word. Angels are here 
to do the word of the Lord. So when we're walking in, when we're declaring, when we're, we're harmonizing with the word of the Lord, our angels are activated to help us get that done, to see that happen on the earth as it is in heaven. So angels are not here to serve me according to what I fancy. They're here to serve me to see the word and will of the Lord done. They're assisting the angel of the church is to assist the church to do what the Lord is saying to the church. Yeah? If the church is not doing what the Lord is saying, the angel, I've been in churches and you see them and they're like, It's not that they don't love you or don't like you, but their resonance and their obedience is to the word of the Lord. They're here to serve us as we harmonize and implement the word of the Lord. You okay with that? So this adds strength to the unique identity of every church because every church should have an angel as well as a lampstand. And the, the, the purpose of the angel is to help the church fulfill the destiny of the church that God has proclaimed and ordained over that community. Amen? <laughs> so when we make a declaration as a community, which we often do, and it harmonizes with the heart and will and word of the Lord, we actually activate angelic forces into our city and our situation. They get busy and get happy when we start to declare and live the word of the Lord in our lives. They're like, woo! When it's not harmonizing with heaven, they kind of hang around waiting for someone to get a clue and go, this is what God says, and they go, woo, we're off. Another thing to point out here is that every church addressed here has a condition as a corporate entity. If you read through it, you'll see that, that, that it varies immensely what they're commended for, what they're struggling with. But every, every church, it's like the aggregate of the community. The, 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 the sum of the parts has a singular identity that God addresses. The, the mood of the whole, the attitude of the whole is seen and perceived by the Father and by heaven and is spoken into. That's quite amazing, isn't it? So it's not just your mood, it's our mood, but your mood can, contributes to our mood. And the goal is that we all come in his mood. Next point number five is each church has a word. And the word is coming from an apostolic leader to an angel. But it's obvious from the text that these are to be written to the churches. So there's something dual going on here, which is that there's actually something that the churches are reading as well as something that the angels are hearing. And that the apostolic ministry, John, has some kind of connection to the angelic that is serving the churches that he's also serving. 
So I, I believe there's, the, the, there's, there's apostolic ministry has angelic assistance to do the word of the Lord. And they partner with the angelic in the church. But the church isn't in a mystery about what God's saying. This is also written not just to the leaders but to the whole church because the exhortation is he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the exhortation to those that need to repent is to the whole church. The whole, do you see what I'm saying? We so individualize stuff that we think, well, it's just about me. No, our, our response, not just my response, is important. And God has a word. So let, let's try and put the Let's try and put the pieces together. God, God has a word. God is speaking a word. Yes? He reveals it to the apostle. The apostle sends it to the church and the angel of the church. And the exhortation of the church is to hear the word. To hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Because what happens then is, as we harmonize with the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit gets involved, the angelic gets involved, and we're in this highly juiced place of harmonizing with heaven on the earth I believe that's how we function increasingly as his legislative assembly on the earth that we hear the word of the Lord we harmonize with it we line up with it we 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 take on the corporate dream, not just our personal dreams. We actually actively engage with the corporate dream that starts to get downloaded to us through the apostles and prophets in our midst. And that way, we grow in incredible strength and influence in realms we cannot see, but we will feel the effect of, as we talked about quite a bit last week. Final point, the goal of each church is to overcome, not to be overcome. So this, where the idea came from that the church is to be rescued because she's weak and failing, I really don't know. But the goal of every church is to overcome. Every church is exhorted to overcome in the place. The challenges of the place are recognized. I mean, one of the churches is like where Satan dwells. It's like, wow, that's scary but they're still exhorted to overcome. Why? Because there's an empty cross and a resurrected and exalted Jesus who's speaking this to them. The one who has overcome is in the body that is empowered to overcome. Still lots of things to overcome. That doesn't mean we're not overcomers. The thing is to look at what you're overcoming, not at what you've yet to overcome. Otherwise, you start to be, you're persuaded by what is yet to be done about your identity, and that is not a good idea. No, we haven't got breakthrough in that, and we haven't seen this. But if you read all that, it starts to tell you something that isn't true about you. If you read all the things and listen and look at all the things you don't yet have, and say, well, that doesn't feel like I'm an overcomer, therefore I'm not, you're not harmonizing with what God declares over you, which is you are someone who rules and reigns in life, and you will have victories in your life, and those are going to increase. 
And as a community, we have victories in our story, which is growing and growing. We have some to yet to gain, many yet to gain, but that the ones that we are yet to achieve don't make us any less overcomers. We are here to overcome. We are overcomers. We have a rich history of overcoming, which is encourages us to overcome the next thing. So that heaven's perspective, a church is, has a lamp stand in heaven. A church has a unique identity and a unique word and a unique calling. A church has an angel that is there to serve us as we uh, move and declare the word of the Lord. And <clears throat> each church has a condition which it, we all have response. Interestingly, each church is addressed that the whole has a responsibility for the whole. I find that fascinating, the way that the whole church is, is, is thought to be responsible for the condition of the whole church. The leaders are not rebuked for the state of the church. The church is rebuked for the state of the church. Amen, glory. How about this side? It's the whole church that is pulled up about the condition of the church. And the goal of each church is to overcome in its environment and not be overcome by it. I really believe we are his legislative assembly for the city of Glasgow and other churches also. I'm not making this only true for us. Uh, and the more that grow in strength, the, the more that Glasgow will change. As is the church, so will the city be. I believe we live in a righteous city that's becoming increasingly righteous and a revival city. We're going to see revival. This is a city ready for revival, made for revival. That's her true identity, not what other people may be declaring. I'm excited to live in Glasgow. There's going to be more rain from heaven than there is rain from the clouds. Shall we stand? So what can you do? Well, number one, you can show up. Let's show up and do some business with the Lord and let the Lord do business with us. That's a good word, isn't it? Showing up. Bacon sandwich in bed is not going to change the city. Being here, worshipping, hosting his presence, making some serious declarations is going to shift the atmosphere of Glasgow. Showing up on time helps even more. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, what else can you do? Make sure that you speak well of your city, speak well over your city. There are lots of issues and problems with our city. Let's, let's bless it, not curse it. Don't, don't, another thing you can do is don't be angel blind and don't, don't be insecure if you haven't seen any. But, but let's be encouraging, not just welcoming Holy Spirit, but welcoming whatever uh, angel God has assigned to you and to this community. We want to see our angels strengthened because that means we'll be strengthened. So Father, thank you for your calling on us as a community. Thank you for our unique identity. I do pray, and I'm sure we all pray, that we have a really influential lampstand right there. That you're walking between Jesus. Um, 
I was hoping for an amen on that one. <laughs> uh, and, and thank you that you've given us an angel that we have connected with. And uh, we just thank you, God, for the, the blessing uh, of angelic help, both individually and corporately, to see massive change in our society and our own lives. So Jesus, with you, awaken our hearts afresh to your glorious church, to your glorious perspective on your glorious church. And I pray, God, that you would just, if there is any unpure, unhelpful, unhealthy attitude that we're harboring, that we would kick it out the door in Jesus' name so that we can walk in health and strength and we can harmonize and legislate for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow. I don't know if you can feel that, but there's a wow moment. He's here. He loves his church. He loves you as part of his church. Wow. I just believe the Lord wants to heal hearts right now that have given up on church. Yeah, it can be difficult, can be the most challenging place on earth, but it's also a place of the greatest blessing. And right now, I just want to, if you have that in you, I just declare release and peace and blessing and a change of heart, attitude and faith for his glorious church and for you to be part of making the church better, not worse. I also believe that he's bringing hope where some of you have looked at everything that isn't going right and believed it's your fault. And he's saying, no, look, you're an overcomer. You're going to see breakthrough and hope. Amen. Amen. Amen.